Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. We're calling this series The Hope of Glory, and the bottom line is that Colossians puts forward this incredible hope that we have in Christ, and this hope of glory uh, is, is maybe different than what some people would have thought. In our world, I think we live in a world where everyone is hoping for glory. We all hope for glory, hope of fulfillment, hope of, hope of joy and lasting peace, and I think all throughout time, including when this letter was written, I think people understood that there had to be something more to this. And they've been trying to, to reach out and find what this hope that we have is supposed to be. And this hope of glory, this hope for real peace, this hope for the eternal. And, and honestly, back you see Roman history that was alive right here when they were in Colossae. They fought wars, they sold goods, they tried to, to pass on their fortunes to their families, their ideals as well. They recorded their deeds on paper and they buried their dead in order to honor them. Why? Because they were holding out this hope for glory. They were trying to just somehow extend into this other part of life beyond what we can have. And I I think, honestly, we're looking at that we all share in this hope of glory. There's something in us that realizes that we're made for more than what we can see. And when when we're honest with ourselves, I think that, that we are looking for something glorious to worship with our lives. And, and in that, we find satisfaction because we are made to worship. And when we, when we can't find where to put this hope, we end up either making ourselves an object of worship or we make created things the object of worship. And either way, uh, we enter into idolatry. And the bottom line, uh, with all of the different error and teaching and heresy that was going on around Colossae at this time, Paul writes this letter to them to help them understand this truth. That your hope of glory can be in Christ. That he is sufficient. He is preeminent. He is enough for you. You can put all your hope in him and he will come through for you. And just the simple gospel is not Christ and anything. They were trying to mix it and blur the lines between uh, Christianity, the gospel, and paganism. They were trying to put all this together with their Roman gods and, and honestly even with their Jewish heritage. And Paul is writing, it's not Jesus and anything. It's not Jesus in Rome, it's not Jesus in the law, it's not Jesus even in you. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. That he has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in Christ. He's transferred us out of that dominion of darkness and brought us into this very new place. That's our new identity uh, by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, his sacrifice for us. We now can enter into Uh, full redemption with God. And last week we talked about this truth that we were once alienated, hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. Uh, If you weren't here last week, we realized that the real problem is that we are alienated from God. And that is why we don't have any satisfaction. We were made for more than this, but we are alienated from our God. And the problem is that uh, we are still looking for satisfaction in the created things rather than the creator. And when those things don't come through for us, We get a little bit hostile in our minds. And that hostility, we got to blame somebody for not being fully satisfied in our life. We take that hostility out. It leads us to evil deeds where we're willing to break God's law, 
break, step out of God's ways in order to find the fulfillment that we want on our terms and on our timing, making ourselves the final decision maker before God. And the solution for all of that is not start with evil deeds and work your way back up to alienation. What we realized was the problem is what like, well, these, these students were doing all over our property. You got to pull the root out and the root is alienation. And the solution for alienation is reconciliation with our God. And when he begins to change our hearts, he makes us a new creation in Christ. And out of that, we, instead of hostility toward God, we are reunited with our God. And out of that, instead of being slaves to sin, we become slaves to righteousness. And out of us flows the fruit of the Spirit. It's a beautiful thing how we are transformed because of Christ in us. And that's where we've been. And so we, we've been using this example. I'm going to pull this out. Y'all still be able to hear me. Now, if you weren't here, I'll, I'll explain this. This is an awesome illustration I saw in college. Louis Giglio did it at a college Bible study, and I wanted to share it with you guys because I honestly think it helps. But somewhere deep down in here, uh, you're in there, okay? Instead of it being sin in you and you in sin, you got moved out of the dominion of darkness and brought into this whole new deal. And we put, you got Christ in you, and, and you are also in Christ, okay, and you are together with Christ in God. So we look at this giant, this is you now, okay? This is, you're in there somewhere. It's hard to even kind of find you now. It's a little faded because of all the layers. But in reality, this is a picture of what scripture kind of tells us. This is your position in Christ. This is true of you. And I, I just, I'm amazed by that. I, I can't help but be excited about this. And we've been rejoicing in this truth that it's not Christ and us, the hope of glory. It's Christ in us that is the hope of glory and what that means for us. And there is so much joy and so much excitement in that, so much power in that, so much hope in that. Our, our, our challenge today is to step into this next passage where, where he begins to open up this whole brand new idea. And it almost seems out of character in light of this whole truth that, that God... His, that Christ is sufficient for our salvation. We've been through all of that. Christ is sufficient for our salvation. But he is also sufficient in our suffering. And I know that we've been talking about all the beautiful gifts and all the good things. But Paul changes gears. I want to read this passage to you in verse 24. And it's, it's kind of a surprise as it comes out in here. But Paul seems to kind of throw a wrench in the gears of telling us that Jesus is powerful. He's preeminent. We're reconciled. We're redeemed. And then he says in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church. Now we're just going to hang out on this one verse today because I feel like this is crucial that we get this. I'm going to read it one more time. Stay with me. It says this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And before I shift gears, because we're going to hang out on suffering, I want to say this just in case your, your heresy radar doesn't go off. Listen, there is nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions for your salvation. He finished that work when he said it is finished. It is finished. It is done. There is now no, there's nothing lacking in that. 
You don't need to suffer to complete the saving work that Christ has done for you. It is finished. It is done. It's completed. That's exactly what's been said so far in chapter 1 of Colossians. We're not going to backtrack on that. Even though this sounds confusing, uh, there's a lot of people's explanations for what that could mean. And and honestly, we could spend a day or two there. But for the sake of time, I want to lock in on what I feel like the Spirit's given us today. And it's this truth uh, that Paul is saying that he is rejoicing in his sufferings. And, and when you're reading through Colossians in chapter 1, you get to verse 24, there's kind of like this, wait, what moment? Like sufferings? All this great stuff. And now Paul says, I, I rejoice in my sufferings. And what does he mean by that? I mean, honestly, you could say, I, I felt like we were all set in here. Suffering didn't need to be a part of my story anymore because I'm in here, right? Surely this has got to be a mistake, right? Like, that it's true that in here, like God would want to show me his, his love, wants us to be happy, healthy, wealthy, successful. Why would Paul start talking about suffering? Now, Paul was nearing the end of his life when he wrote this. And sure, he was opposed to God in his youth. But by this time, he was easily the greatest missionary that the world had ever seen. He, he was the one that God was using to give us much of the New Testament. I mean, even as he's writing this, this is canonized. This is God's word. He said, I honestly feel like if anybody got it right during this season, it had to have been Paul. I mean, it's unbelievable what God accomplished through him. Why is he suffering? He did so much right. He did so much well. Why is he suffering? Shouldn't he be living the good life? Good life. I mean, you think maybe you should be sitting back signing copies of his paperback, right, on tour, going to conferences, telling everybody to have uh, a, a great life. Uh, at this point in our stage, just to give you this, 2,000 years later, Paul still doesn't even need a last name, right? He just, you just say Paul. It's like Beyonce. You don't even need a last name. Just kidding. Um, but <laughs> don't hurt me. All right, but anyway, <laughs> LeBron, let's go with that. Uh, but, you know, my middle name is Paul. 2,000 years later, my parents named me after this guy, my middle name. His impact on the world is massive. And you'd think, like, if anybody was going to get the good life, it had to have been him. And if you could leverage all that to get this good life out of, out of God, surely Paul would have done that. But instead, he is writing about suffering. And so what does Paul know about suffering? If you, if you want to flip there, you can. Let's look in. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16 through 33. Now, I, I want to challenge you with this because I, I think for some of you, this is going to be a relief. For some of you, it might be a surprise. Uh, I pray that, that you hear my heart on this. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16 through 33. Paul begins to share some of the suffering that he has been through. This is the experience that Paul had as one of God's servants of the Lord. I know it's popular to promise a lot of things, a lot of blessings, but this was Paul's experience, okay? He says, he's actually writing to the church of Corinth, and he is daring to boast about who he is and what he's been through, uh, sort of defending his ministry. He, he usually doesn't do this, and so he almost makes an apology on the front end, and then he just lets it go, and he shares all the stuff that he's been through. Think about this. It says, but whenever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? From verse 22. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. He's, he's like, I'm sorry, y'all. I don't mean to do this. But he says, 
with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. So we think about this when we see Paul probably one of the most uh, amazing godly men that God has ever used to do his purposes. Praise God, not Paul, but God used him in a powerful way. If there was anybody that was going to experience nothing but the good stuff, it would have been Paul, right? He would have maybe deserved it, but instead he is experiencing all that I just read to you. Everything from hunger, cold, exposure, persecution, danger at every turn. I must have said danger 10 times. Take a second to let that sink in for a second. He is a servant of the Lord, and yet he had experienced a tremendous amount of suffering. Now, I, I, I want to speak to this because I honestly think that it's important for us to deal with a few things that are being said out in the world right now. And I want to equip you to be able to handle the suffering that God has entrusted each of us with. Uh, first, I want to say this before I get into this. You are right to believe that God loves that you are healthy and happy. Don't get defensive, please, thinking I'm trying to say that God does not want to bless you. I'm not denying any of God's promises to his people. God does desire to bless his people. He loves to heal. He loves to, to perform miracles on our behalf, and he often does. Christ has paid for our redemption and our healing, and one day we will receive new bodies. We will be glorified and will suffer no more. These promises are true. However, that day has not come in its fullness. In some ways it's here, but in some ways it's not yet here. And yes, in this life, we are going to experience miraculous healings. We could share testimonies in our fellowship of miraculous healings, how God has stepped in and done uh, what we believe are just straight up miracles, healing people. It's incredible. God has provided financial blessings for so many of us, and he has done such incredible things that are miraculous. And God has granted great success to so many of us and so many of his people, and these are the good gifts of God. Even so, many Christians do not experience miraculous healing. Many remain poor, and many die too young. God's promises are sure, but in this life as Christians, we, it's safe to say this, we will know suffering. We see his blessing in part in all the ways that I said, and soon we'll be in heaven and we will see the whole of that. Those things will be the norm. Here's reality, guys. We are all dying. Our bodies are perishing right now. Aren't you so glad you're here this morning to hear this? Like, I'm so glad I got out of bed to come to church. This is amazing. Welcome to church. 
Um, <laughs> I struggle with this. God help. But it's much easier, honestly, in light of that, to grow a church promising people instant health, wealth, and success. And we all want control, and there's a part of that that appeals to us. Some churches teach people how to use self-generated faith in faith, sort of how to wield the power of words and positive affirmation to claim everything you want from God. And they often use, honestly, hilariously rich pastors uh, as proof that God wants you to have it all, and he wants you to have it right now. All you need to do is, is write a check, and, and it'll come to you. It's all about your best life now. And we call this the prosperity gospel. And, and if I can be completely honest as a steward of, of God's word here as your uh, pastor, I want to say this. The prosperity gospel is not the gospel at all. The gospel is not about collaborating with God to make yourself successful. It's not about getting more stuff and being more prosperous. It's about God forgiving people of their sin through the death of his son and bringing them into life from the spiritual dead and conforming them into the image of Jesus Christ. Sadly, this is your best life now if you are not a Christian. If you're not a believer, this is as good as it gets. And, and honestly, you would benefit making the most of this if you're never going to come to faith in Christ but on the other hand, if you are a child of God and your sins are forgiven and you've come to, to hold Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is nowhere near your best life. Not even close, not even on the same radar. And we have this hope of glory that goes so much beyond this life. And, and our obsession with this life makes us act crazy and start worshiping the created things, trying to pull out every little bit of marrow of satisfaction out of all this stuff that God created thinking that it is the source of our joy rather than God himself. And when we do that, we're the ones that hurt. Listen, I want you to get this, and it's not popular today, even in some, uh, some circles of Christianity, that the Lord is, is, is not promising you here and now a and now. Now is a big word. We're going to get there. A full, happy, rich, satisfying, trouble-free, free life, health, wealth, success. He does promise that. It's just not here yet. I'm not trying to take away any of those promises. I'm not trying to tell you that God doesn't love you and he's not going to do these things. That he's not conquered sin, death, hell, or sickness and all these things. That he doesn't have power over that. He does. He is reigning and ruling. He's finished it all. He's done it in Christ. It is finished and he has total power and authority. But it is still yet to come the fullness of these blessings. In fact, quite the opposite is true for this life. In scripture, we see that he has promised that those who know him in this life will experience trouble and persecution, rejection, difficulty, trial, temptation, pain, suffering, sorrow, sickness. These are all things that Jesus himself said that in the same way he experienced them, we would experience them as well. And so today as we look at Paul who's saying just this one verse, I'm rejoicing in my suffering. We get this, that Christ is sufficient for our salvation. Amen? We get that. Now with the same umph, Christ is sufficient in our suffering. Amen, right? We have to accept that. 
It's, it, it, God is glorified when he allows us to endure and he entrusts us with suffering in the same way he's glorified if he chooses to remove that suffering in our life. God receives the same glory. So what we got to deal with, we got to figure out how do we actually as Christians deal with suffering. And I think we've almost lost our understanding of this in the church. False teaching has really settled in and changed the way we think about Christianity. I think about uh, what's happening out there in the media. If you go home and turn on the TV to a lot of the Christian channels, listen to preachers being broadcast all over the world. You'd probably come to the conclusion, as I said before, that the gospel is all about you teaming up with God to make yourself healthy, wealthy, and successful. It's all about learning how to manipulate God using this force called faith to make God owe you something and come through for you later. So you pay something forward, you do something and turn God into your slave. You become the boss and he now owes you something. Put him under contract. Now God has given us promises that we can trust in and he gives us freely. But a lot of this is just about wielding this power, this, this force called faith, which is not a real great definition of what faith actually is. And positive thinking in, in order to get your best life like right now. There's, there's claims that you can speak health and wealth and all these things into existence. And, and at the underlying core of some of this prosperity teaching is that you are a little version of God and that you have creative power with your words and can speak these things into existence around you. And God's word simply does not support that. God can work and do miracles in your life. And I can share testimonies of how he has done this in my life. I really can. It's been amazing how he's done it. But oftentimes what happens is they're saying if you experience any kind of suffering, it's because of deficient faith on your part. Now, to be fair, let me say this. Some of us are suffering because we've had a lack of faith. We've sinned. Scripture says anything that is not of faith is sin. We've chosen to go our own way. We've rejected God. We've chosen to do things outside of God's ways. And we've done exactly what Scripture promised. We are, we are reaping what we have sown in this life. Some of the decisions, some of the sorrow in our lives, some of the suffering in our life is a result of sin that we have committed. Some of it is sin that other people have committed, and some is just a result of a broken and fallen world that is groaning in eager expectation that God is going to one day come and make all things new as we sing about. Don't you love that song? I love that because it's just like it reminds me that even though it's not yet fully uh, redeemed, that one day God will come and recreate a new heaven and a new earth and all will be well. I, I find joy in that. And in the end, this, this is a lie. And honestly, uh, this prosperity gospel is attracting millions and millions of people all over the world. It's one of America's biggest exports. Um, when we flip on the TV in Kenya, they're preaching it. And it's going out all over the place to the poorest of the poor are, are lining up on this thing. And it's not actually the gospel. It's attractive because it seems to satisfy our most basic needs and give us control and comfort. But in the end, it's not actually the gospel. There are two problems with the prosperity gospel, and then we're going to get back to suffering because I don't want to just be beating this down. But I think we have to address this because it's being proclaimed so widely, and I want to make sure you know where, where I stand on this. First thing is this. The tone of the prosperity gospel attracts attention to the gifts of God as the source of our joy rather than God himself. It's saying the gifts are the reason why I have joy. I love God in as much as he provides the gifts to me, which will, will give me joy. I love God because if he comes through for me, then I'll have that thing, those things, that stuff that makes me happy. When we celebrate the gifts that he gives. 
And when we get that, we miss out on verses like Psalm 73. Listen, this is, this is the cry of our heart. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. David is writing, he's saying, even if my body falls apart and my heart is failing, God, you are the strength of my heart and you are my portion. You are enough for me. You are able to satisfy my heart. I don't need anything else. You are enough. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 says this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail. And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In the midst of poverty, at God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. God has this for us. Paul says in Philippians 3, 8, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Listen, we can't turn the, the, the gifts of God into the source of our joy. We have to understand it's actually God himself that is the source of our joy. And the second thing before I get moving on this solution here, the prosperity gospel does not equip the children of God to deal with suffering. Sadly, we're raising a whole generation of Christians that when they do face suffering, they're not going to know how to handle it. Gone is the way of the cross where instead of a come and see, come and get, and Jesus said, come and die. Yield your life to me. There is a better life coming later. This is not all there is. Come, I'll make you fishers of men. Walk away from everything else. I'm going to lead you into a different kind of life. The crucified life's been replaced with your best life now. But Christ died so that we wouldn't have to, he, he did not die, excuse me, that we wouldn't have to suffer, okay? That's not the whole deal. Eventually that will be true. But scripture actually says that he died to give us an example of how we should endure suffering. That's not the only reason why he died. Lord knows we've got lots to say about why Christ died, but that is one of the benefits to us is that he's, he's not, the gospel is not that you will never suffer. He says, you're going to suffer just as I suffered and suffer in the same way that, that I did. So the prosperity gospel downplays this vast and huge theology of suffering that we have in scripture that, that is not only expected us, but promised to us as a way that God causes us to grow. First Peter 4.19 says this, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Y'all wanna hear that again? This is good. First Peter 4, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. See, we get, we are going to endure suffering in our life. And when we do, we don't have to try and gain control. We can simply entrust our souls to our creator who is good. He is faithful to us and we can rejoice in his faithfulness. Romans eight twenty three says this, 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's this yearning in us. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, I'm giving you a lot of scripture here, but we're going to slow down just now, actually. It says this, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. You see, this is going beyond just talking about persecution for the faith. I want to make that distinction because some would say, uh, you know, suffering in that we are persecuted, but health and all these other things that we'll never have to deal with that. Listen, uh, other than uh, the very, very few exceptions in scripture, 100% of us have died of something. Right? I mean, Enoch, Elijah, Jesus. The rest of us, even Jesus, rose. We will have to face something. Now, it says this, though our outer self is wasting away, here's the deal. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. I think Christians in churches that only wave the prosperity flag are are profoundly unprepared to deal with this work that God does in us and how he uses suffering in our life. And to me, that's a tragedy. So how, how are we supposed to deal with suffering? Let's get down to brass tacks here. I'm gonna give you four things. Uh, but in order to do that, I wanna go to something else Paul said in Romans chapter five. So flip over there, uh, Romans chapter five, verse one. And we're gonna look at these verses. Paul goes into a little bit more detail. He admits in, in Colossians, he says he's rejoicing in his suffering. And it's important for you to realize that Paul is in Christ. He is in there. But as he writes this, he is actually in prison. Y'all got me on this? So he is enduring suffering even as he writes this. This is Romans, different book. But in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Now, justified, in case you, you this is talking about you've been saved by faith. I can put it simply. It says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Praise God. That's us in there. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I'm going to break this down and give you four things. I believe Paul wants us to see that we get this. I'm going to go quickly. Number one is that we are, when we suffer as Christians, how are we supposed to handle this? The first thing is that we stand in God's grace. This is what Paul is talking to through the gospel, what Christ has done for us, we are able to stand in the grace of God. God's grace is sufficient. It is powerful enough to save you. It is also powerful enough to sustain you. You can stand in God's grace even through unbelievable suffering. Now God, God's grace to stand, I believe, comes the moment you need it and not a second before. Can anybody give testimony to that? Haven't you experienced that? Things you never thought you could get through You got through because God's grace showed up in that moment and you stood in the grace. What would have crushed you a day earlier, God sustains you through, through his miraculous grace because he has walked with us through our suffering. 
he comes and stands and gives us grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only grace for salvation, but grace to sustain us, grace to encourage us, grace to to let us look life in the eye and endure unspeakable suffering for the sake of his name and knowing for the joy that's set before us, we can endure suffering even as our Savior endured suffering. We are able to stand in the grace of God. He does it not in our own strength, but in the strength that God provides through his grace. We are justified. We have peace through Christ. We've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. By faith, we now have that. We are in him. He is in us. We are together with Christ in God. And in there, we can endure any amount of suffering. In there, we have grace to stand under any kind of pressure. We can do it through Christ. It's him in us. Remember, we endure suffering. Later, we're going to get to chapter 2. The same way you receive Christ, walk in him. You receive him by grace through faith. You're going to sustain and survive suffering by grace through faith. Stand in his grace. That's the first thing. The second is this, that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let me break this down and do it backwards. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Listen, if your hope is in health and wealth, you will not be able to rejoice when you don't have health and wealth. If your hope is in success, then your suffering is going to lead you to despair. If your hope is in comfort, your suffering is going to lead you to doubt God. If your hope is in the glory of God, you will never be shaken. Because he is the object of our joy, not his blessings. And you can take away the blessings and we can still have joy. Because he is sufficient for us, for our salvation and through our suffering. He is able to satisfy our hearts. 1 Peter 4, chapter 12 through 16 illustrates this. Peter writes, beloved, it's us. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. What is this? I'm having to suffer? (laughs) But rejoice. This is hard, you guys. This is hard. I really, I'm, I'm so grateful to God I get to do this and share the word of God with you, but this is terrifying to me. He says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He talks about persecution. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of the glory, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. I love that. It it continues on. If you go back and look in 1 Peter 4, he's like, if you suffer, it doesn't need to be because you were sinning. If you're sinning against people and being a jerk and you're suffering, don't blame anybody but yourself. This is not what we're talking about. But if you suffer, you can endure. So number two, you rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not in the hope of other things, but we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And here's what I think this means. And break it down into our English. We rejoice in the hope that one day when we see Jesus face to face, that we will be so overwhelmed with the glory of a glorious, majestic, all-powerful, good, and perfect God. That anything else in our life will feel like rubbish and loss compared with him. 
and that we will know at that moment that we are beyond satisfied in Christ. Our hope is not in the blessings of God even. It's not even the hope that heaven is going to be awesome. Our hope is in God himself. He is the reason we won't need a son. And he is the reason you wouldn't even need any blessings if you were there. He is enough to sustain us. You're like, how is he going to satisfy my heart's needs for trillions and trillions and trillions upon trillions and gajillions of years and whatever number you can think of? Listen, he will never be exhausted in his glory and in his majesty. You would get tired of any kind of entertainment. You would get tired of any kind of blessing God could give you, but we will never throughout eons upon eons upon eons upon eons of history throughout time, epic upon epic, we will never tire of the glory of God and his glory will satisfy our hearts forevermore. And at his right hand, we will experience joy and pleasure in everything our hearts desire. Our hope is not in this life. It is not as in health. It's not in wealth. It's not in success. It is in him him alone, God in his glory, that he will satisfy us. There's nothing else that will sustain you. The third thing is this, we rejoice in our suffering. How do we do that? One, I think we have to see it as Paul did. And he, he explains it in that passage in Romans 5. And I'm just going to say it simply. How? First, he says that suffering leads to endurance. Immediately, you're starting to see Paul see the big picture. He's looking top down, right? It's not all about now. It's not all about this moment. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and this character produces hope. And this hope is not going to disappoint us. <laughs> Can we get there? You're not going to be disappointed. I love that. It's, it's not going to fail. Because we're sure of God's love through the Holy Spirit. This passage, I'm going to read this. I know it's a lot of scripture. and we, we've, we've strayed very far from Colossians. <laughs> but hear this as we talk about suffering. Peter writes this. In 1 Peter, same as we were reading before, but chapter 1, verse 3 through 9, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's called us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. See the eternal perspective? Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You're rejoicing, right? Even for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, if you suffer. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love this. Though you have not seen him. I love that. I feel so understood by that. It's like Peter's like, I know you can't see this yet. And I know in your suffering and the real stuff. I mean, it's nice to talk about theology. But when you're in that moment and you can't see it, stuff gets real, doesn't it? Start asking real questions. Peter says... I know you haven't seen him, but you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. An inexpressible and glorious joy that's filling your souls, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I feel so understood by this passage. 
it's so hard when we're going through suffering and we start asking these huge questions and we're not talking about little things. We're talking about the big stuff that we have to face in life. How do we endure that? How do we make it? We've got to see the big perspective. We've got to face it the way that Paul faced it. We've got to see the big picture that God is producing endurance, character, and hope. And that one day that will be revealed before God and we will celebrate him. And even though now as we can't see clearly and everything, there's so many questions and we struggle that we know that even though we can't see him, God knows we can't. And he's stepping and filling us with an inexpressible and glorious joy knowing that he's kept an inheritance for us and that one day it is going to be there. He knows he's coming through. And by faith in Christ, he has granted us through the power of the spirit, grace to believe in him that we might be satisfied in him and face our suffering in there. And Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians, says, we are like jars of clay in this life. He's like, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're not alone. We're struck down, but not completely destroyed. We are always carrying in the body of death, the body of death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested or revealed in us. He's saying we suffer so that Christ's life may be revealed in us. Did you see that? It says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is amazing. So in verse 16, he says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, the created things, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're here today, gone tomorrow, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul and Corinthians and Peter and those who understood, those who suffered, explained to us we face our suffering by having this eternal perspective. We're able to see that God is up to something, that it's not all about our best life now. Our best life is yet to come. And right now, the best thing we can do is to live for God's glory and entrust ourselves to a faithful God who knows what he has for us and knows how to advance his kingdom. And if I can say this, and it's hard, it's not easy, and I'm going to share a story with you in a second. It's personal. But when we see him face to face, there is not one of us that's going to point and say, that was unfair how you treated me. When we see him in his glory, we're going to say, thank you for saving me. If there was any ounce of glory you could receive from my life, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. And then when we experience all the joy and inheritance that we have in him, you're not going to spend the rest of eternity being grumpy about the things you didn't have here in this life. And, and I, I, this is hard. I just to get this practical, I think for me, I, I, I don't know if I wanted to share any of this, but I'm, I trust you guys, y'all are my family, and I get this, and I don't talk about this a lot because it's not easy. Um, 
after Jennifer and I got married, uh, we we celebrated and, and to set this up, uh, we tried to, to really honor God uh, in preparing for our marriage even while we were kids. You know, our parents understood, helped us understand God's way uh, that we should think about uh, how we should marry, how to prepare best and God's morals and his, his physical boundaries and romantic relationships. And, uh, and I was 26 and Jennifer was 24. And by the grace of God, we were, we were two virgins uh, at the altar and as we made our vows to one another, we had a picture of what everything was going to be like. And um, I, I, it's been our initial um, years of, of <laughs> marriage. Um, we, we shared with, uh, or I got called into health classes at the high school, and I was always warning students of the dangers of, of stepping outside God's boundaries when it, when it comes to sex. And, um, we were always warning them of things like infertility and all sorts of stuff that, that could be a consequence uh, for sickness and illness in those ways. And, uh, you know, my wife and I we felt like we'd done the best we could to honor God in that area. By the grace of God, we failed in a lot of ways, but in that way, we, we honored him as best we could. And uh, over, over time, we, we continued to serve God in full-time ministry. Uh, I was a youth pastor. My wife is a teacher at the Christian Learning Center. Uh, we, we began to, uh, after a few years, began to pray for children. And, and during that season, God chose not to give us children. And, you know, we were, we were brokenhearted throughout a lot of that. And sometimes we still are. There's a little bit of lingering pain that we kind of deal with. Uh, we, we really did grieve that uh, for a long season. And the hurt that we experienced was real. And, and honestly, we struggled with a lot of big, big questions, you know. We started, you know, wondering if we should blame ourselves. We wondered if, if we should uh, figure something out. Did we sin or do we make God mad? Is he angry? Is there something we should have done? Meanwhile, we're sharing the gospel with teenagers and, and helping 15-year-old girls uh, deal with, with uh, surprise pregnancies and walking them through all that, all the while praying that God would, would give us grace and give us a, a child. God sustained us with his grace through that loss that was painful for us. And... It was not easy, but I can say that God absolutely gave us grace. Some of you guys can relate to that. It was a challenge, but God gave us the grace to walk through those, those moments and those years. And I can say this, honestly, if our, if our Christian faith was in a picture of the American dream, uh, exactly the way that we imagined it with kids in the whole bit, uh, we would have probably lost faith in that. Why would not God bless us like this? I mean... And instead, we experience the brokenness of this world, to be honest with you. And, and it's caused us to long for heaven even more, where we want God to come and restore and make things new. We've learned that. And, and this is the honest truth. I can tell you this. This is, this is a baby suffering compared to what some of you guys have been through. But it's just, it's what I got. Okay, this is where I'm at. I'm not trying to compare. But I can tell you this, that God was able to sustain us through that trial. He was. He, he kept us going. And, and, and recently, you know, we, we felt a difficult thing. Um, you know, during that season, I feel like one of God's blessings in our life was our, our little dog, Dallas, that y'all have been so sweet about. Um, it's probably a little uh, dysfunctional and irrational, but uh, Dallas came to us. Our little dog came to us. Uh, right before we started dealing with infertility and and we really felt like and thanked God for that gift because she uh, 
met a need in our life. She brought life into her house that, that, that blessed us and gave us joy in ways that are probably embarrassing to explain because some of y'all don't have dots. <laughs> um, but it, it may be weird for some of you, but um, last, uh, last week, um, little Dallas was bit by a snake and we lost her. And, uh, you know, she's a dog. Don't freak out. <laughs> but, but, but on the same hand, she, she was a blessing that really helped us deal with infertility and helped us deal with the empty home, helped us deal with some of that loneliness. She became the object of a lot of, of that sort of nurturing and care that we, we put out. And we really felt like she was one of God's blessings to us. And before I prepared this message, I had to go out and it was tough, man. I had to, I had to dig her grave. And I remember um, with Jennifer standing there, putting her in the ground and saying that Jesus is enough. And it was really, we both kind of knew it. It was, it was, we know he's enough to get us through the loss of a pet. But underlying that, we were reminded that he's enough to get us through infertility. It's still a little raw. Just like there's some places in your heart that are a little raw. As much as I want to come up here and write a paperback and Lord, we get rich. I'm trying to tell you that everything's going to work out exactly how you planned it. And here's the formula. Just say this in the mirror every day. You laugh, but that's actually being taught. That everything's going to work out. I have to be honest that we've had to go back to Psalm 73 and say, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire but you. actually hard to say right now but my flesh and my heart may fail but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever I'm so glad my dad made me memorize that verse when I was a kid we need to be giving that to one another not just the promise of perfect lives the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines or produce of olive or the produce of olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. And there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The hope of glory is not about us cooperating with God. To get everything we want. To get our best life now. The hope of glory is that God is everything you want. God is everything you need. He is the object of our joy. It isn't Christ and health, the hope of glory. It isn't Christ and wealth, the hope of glory. It isn't Christ and success, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. When he's a rock, we can't be shaken. You can build your house on the blessings, and when the storm comes, it will wash away. But if you build your faith on Christ alone, on God, knowing that God is enough, he is all you need. You will be satisfied. Listen, some of you, God may bless you beyond measure. Like God blessed Solomon. But even if he does, you're going to find out that the blessings do not satisfy. 
the richest man in the world, Solomon, who had it all at the end of his life after having more than you and I and all of Gilmer and most of America could ever come up with, he looked at his riches and said, vanity. There was no satisfaction in it. It's a lie. He alone can satisfy. If your hope is in the glory of God, you'll be able to look down the barrel of a gun and say, I'm a believer. You'll be able to hear that diagnosis that you feared. You'll be able to face loss. You'll be able to face pain knowing that Christ is enough, that your eternity is secure, and that he will fulfill our hearts both now and in eternity and forevermore and forevermore and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, this is difficult. It's hard, even if it's personal, and I, I feel unqualified to even preach about it. The suffering that I've experienced is such a drop in the bucket compared to what my brothers and sisters in Christ are facing all over the world. Yet, yet here we stand, and the same grace of God that's available to them is available to us through things that we might think are lesser. But God, we yield our lives to you, and we say that we don't put our hope in your blessings. We Reject finding all our joy in the created things. And while some of those things might bring us joy, uh, but they are supposed to point us back to you, not satisfy us and complete us, but to point us to the one who can. God, I pray that you would bring us to you. God, I pray this, that if there's anyone here today who's facing suffering, probably many far greater than mine. We've had a lot that's gone on even this week. There's issues and things that people are facing and while the enemy creeps in and wants to sow doubt and say, if God really loved you, he would. And if this worked out this way, then it would be this way. Listen, all those things. God, I pray that you would destroy the work of the enemy and the lies that he has and you would allow us to lift our eyes, give us eternal perspective, give us, give us humility to give you what we have back and let you have it and entrust our lives to you who is faithful. Father, I pray that as we suffer, the light of your life will be revealed. Father, we know that anyone, anyone can praise you and give you glory in total success, health, and wealth. Some of us, you've chosen to allow us, you've entrusted us with suffering in that you might be able to reveal genuine faith. Father, we pray that you would be glorified in our life. We pray that you would do with us as you please because we have entrusted ourselves to you knowing that when we see you, None of us will say, no fair. That we will say, to God be the glory. We yield our hearts to you. We yield our families to you. We yield our stuff to you. We yield our blessings to you. And we say, we are yours. You are our only thing our hearts can supply. Our only thing that satisfies us. You are the strength of our heart and our portion forever. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. If you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.